Welcome to the Marketing Stir Podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Jared Walls, Associate Producer and Starista's Creative Copy Manager. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders to get their take on the current challenges of the market, but also have a little fun along the way. In this episode, Vincent and chat with Eric Dewar, Senior Vice President of Marketing at Domo. He explains how a degree in philosophy led him to a career in marketing and how the art of persuasion isn't the same as manipulation and why you should strive for the former. AJ gets a steroid shot and Vincent wears a Hawaiian shirt. Give it a listen. Right, ladies and gentlemen, it's that time once again. I'm Vincent Petrofessa, so that must mean that the marketing stir is happening. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. It's so good to be here. I am, again, the uh, co-host of the marketing stir, Vincent Petrofessa, the vice president of B2B products and partnerships at Starista. It is so great to be here on video. I've got my crazy Hawaiian shirt on. We're having fun. Of course, I'm ha- I have a Hawaiian shirt. I'm a dad. This is what you do when you're a dad. With me, as always, another dad, not my dad, that would be weird, is my co-host. You know him, my commander-in-chief, Mr. A.J. Gupta. What's going on, A.J.? Hey, Vincent. So are there people that tell you it's a cool shirt? Just myself. No, uh, no one has. The, the guy who works at Kohl's, where I bought it, said, hey, that's a cool shirt, man. Um, no, it makes sense. When I look at you, I, I do think that's the right shirt for you. Thank you. So wait, so you're saying I'm not cool. I love it. Thank you so much. I love, you know, it's those words of wisdom, AJ, that keep me motivated every day. Thank you so much. What's good with you? How's everything out there? Good. I got a steroid shot on my uh, wrist today, so it's feeling a lot better. All right. Yeah. So speaking Uh, of cool, that is, uh, that's something. So because the tennis, you, you pulled it? Yeah, I don't know what was what happened, but after a couple of months, you expect it to go away, but it's there and nagging. But uh, yeah, uh, back in time for the podcast. That's a hey, good. That's yeah. dedication right there. Yeah, I had a few cortisone shots in my knee, old football injuries, uh, flag football in- injuries mostly. <laughs> not, not nothing cool. I actually never got hurt when I played actual football, uh, high school football. Let's not get carried away here, but uh, awesome. We're glad you are with us. We are certainly glad that this next gentleman is with us. I had met this gentleman uh, a few weeks ago, hit it off. I love his background. I love his story. Very fun guy, informative. We'd love to welcome to the Marketing Stir podcast, the Senior Vice President of Marketing at Domo, Put your hands together out there virtually for Mr. Eric Dewar. What's going on, Eric? Hey, Vincent. Thanks for having me. That's a thunderous applause um, on this void Zoom call. Exactly. Yeah, I told you, I always, the guests always say, they're like, wow, that's a little over the top, my introduction. But hey, I love it. We're happy to have you here. And it's, uh, you know, you're joining us from Utah. We have Utah, New York, Texas three states, three time zones. So we welcome you in. Um, Eric, tell us about yourself, your position there at Domo, and then enlighten us and the listeners more about Domo. Yeah, uh, so great to be here. I am new at Domo. Uh, this was a, 
um, uh, kind of one of these, you know, company I've been looking at for quite a while. I think they're really interesting. Um, we are traditionally seen as in the business intelligence space. So the way I like to tell people is we help you gather, see, and use your data and which data, all your data, um, makes it a really fun category to play in because what business doesn't have data? Um, and you know, what we do is we talk about the business cloud and I think data right now in this kind of goofy COVID world is really, really interesting. We've all become data experts. We all became BI experts. Like your parents are like getting news and data every day and trying to figure out what to do with it. And businesses are, are no different. Uh, so it's a really fun time to be in this, this space of data and how you use data and how it's transforming companies and basically uh, run the marketing group uh, and, uh, you know, from all aspects, from the campaigns to the messaging to, um, you know, our go-to-market. And Eric, one of the questions we always love asking our guests, because some of the stories are all over the place. We always love asking our guests, like, how did you get into marketing? Yeah, so it's funny. Everyone does have an interesting way they get into marketing. Either they started in PR, they started in product or something like that. I started with a philosophy degree. Uh, I was a philosophy major in, in college. And then I also had a finance degree. But at the end of college, I looked at the jobs that were available to finance people. And they looked really, really, really boring. Uh, and I thought, well, that doesn't seem like fun. I'm going to start an agency. And that agency really took what I had learned in philosophy around persuasion and we started giving speeches about that. And then luckily one day we, we got picked up by Microsoft and someone from Microsoft said, Hey, can you help our sales team become more persuasive? And I thought, well, that sounds pretty cool. And it was the MSN group. This is like MSN 1999. Uh, and so it was like, they didn't know how to talk about technology uh, to a media person. And so we applied the rules of Aristotle's rhetoric to a sales team to help them become more persuasive. Uh, and that began this whole cycle into kind of sales enablement, then into like positioning. And then here's my trick. If you want to succeed in business without really trying, make an executive look good on stage. And so we could do that and they were loving us. They're like, holy cow, you can now distill a, a complex product strategy or, or, or a very uh, uh, hard to, to describe offer to, to, to a group. And so suddenly we were writing speeches for all the executives at Microsoft. And that idea of persuasion somehow got me into marketing. And it's really funny because when I hang out with other CMOs, I'm like, I don't know if I'm like, like you. I didn't come up creating demand gen. I wasn't like a, a search dude. I was like the, the Aristotelian logic guy. <laughs> and so, so anyway, but here I am. Um, it's been a good ride. I've enjoyed it. That, that is an awesome story, Eric. Definitely a first for us in the podcast. So how difficult was it to jump into entrepreneurship right after college? Um, probably harder than I thought it was. 
Um, my dad was always an entrepreneur. And so I guess I had that like little bug about like, ah, I don't want a boss. Even right now being at Domo, I'm like, no, this is totally cool. I'm happy being here. What do you mean I have to be here at which time, <laughs> right? So there's always that thing in you that is irrational. Um, but I, I'm, I'm okay with a pretty big risk tolerance. And so the hardest thing of starting a business is uh, two things. One, you, if you don't believe you're going to be bankrupt in six months, uh, then you're not paranoid enough. Like you just got it. Like you have that mindset. And then are you okay not having that long, like long financial stability that you think, and you watch other people who just get paychecks every two weeks and like, oh, you have it so easy. Um, particularly when you get employees and you're like worried about all the mouths to feed. I mean, it's like you're, you know, smoking air cigarettes and you know, freaking out. Um, but if you can do that, that's good. The thing I loved about starting off this way is it, it, it really made you curious about what other people were doing. And so you go back to a place like Microsoft, I would meet anybody. I'd be like, Oh, what do you do? Oh, I'm a product management guy for the, the open dialogue box in office. I'm like, whoa, cool. Tell me more about that. And, and, and so suddenly it's not like you're trying to get them as a client, but you're certainly trying to figure out how their world connects to your world into other things. And I had seen that at, at places like Microsoft and other large companies where there was just a lack of curiosity amongst the employees because you're just overwhelmed with what you had. And so as a result, at 22, you start building a sense of curiosity. You start building a network. You realize how important that network is. And that's that entrepreneurial spirit that you could have if you have your own business or you could just have anyway. Like, I don't think you need to, you know, be freaking out about cash, uh, cash flow. You know, you could be a regular job and still have that curiosity about you. Now that, that makes a lot of sense. I uh, took a couple of years before I started Starista but definitely had a very similar experience uh, jumping into it. And I'm often asked, what did you do before? And I say, not a, not a whole lot. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, um, it's consuming, right? Yep. yep. Uh, and then I, I saw on your LinkedIn, you uh, started at Rocket Fuel. Was that shortly after your uh, entrepreneurship ended? Yeah, well, one of, like, so one agency went for 15 years. And then I started a second one and I was very happy there. I called it the Shire. Like it was, it was smaller. We had, you know, a handful of clients and, and, and we were doing strategic positioning and it was just a very simple offer and, and, and it was great. And one of our clients um, was rocket fuel and the CEO asked if I would come run their marketing. And I was really I, it was an interesting offer because I had never thought of myself as a marketer uh, at that point. I was like, I, wow, run marketing. That seems like a really interesting um, thing. And not only is it interesting, it was interesting because it was all of marketing. Um, and so it was product marketing and all the demand gen and all the PR and, and the referencing programs and everything was like rolling under one program. And it was a public company. And so... It, it was quite a, and it was a company that was going through a massive transformation. And so all those things seemed like a, it's like, well, this isn't going to be a regular job. This is going to be quite a project. And Eric, I want to learn more about uh, Domo. We'll get to that in a moment, but I, I'm fascinated with his philosophy background and, you know, 
what specific philosophies I was never, I, I think I took one philosophy class, but are there specific philosophies that you apply to marketing and, and specifically maybe marketing at Domo? Yeah, there's uh, the types of philosophy. So if you study, there's, I mean, philosophy, of course, is super broad. It's literally the Greek word is love of wisdom. And so there's a, there's a lot of that out there. And there's you know, Eastern philosophy and Western philosophy and ancient and modern and postmodern. And, and so I, I spent a, a lot of time with Greek philosophy and, and, and Greek philosophy and rhetoric and rhetoric into the philosophy of language. And so the Greeks were really good at creating, um, you know, what they would call the polis, the people. And so if you read a lot of Plato, it's all about like the system of government and how does, how do we govern one another through a Socratic method? So that Socratic method is that, that idea of question and answer, question and answer, question and answer. And if anyone's out there and they've never read Plato, they want a little bit of Plato, go read Domino. It was, you know, it's a very short text and it's just a simple text where, where Socrates asks, can virtue be taught? And it's just a wonderful thing about, you know, a simple question. Uh, but, but the other philosophies that you can extend on, like I just mentioned Aristotle's rhetoric, which says, you know, persuasion comes from your ability to have ethos, pathos, and logos. So ethos, do I come across as credible? So right now in this podcast, people are listening or viewing me and wondering, oh, is he a credible person? So we build up credibility. We talk about, oh, he was the CMO of a public company. He ran his own agencies. He's worked at Microsoft. Those are all reasons I, I, to believe that I'm, I'm your doctor. You should listen to me. Okay. And so, so there's that kind of, uh, and that's persuasion, right? Just do this because you believe I'm an ethical person. I have credibility. And then the second one would be logos. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do I say it in a sequence that is memorable or, 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 or at least goes through your brain and like, oh, that makes sense. I, I now understand. Um, you know, why should you wear a face mask? Well, there are some logical reasons why you should do that. And you either believe in that logic or you don't. Um, and then the, and the third one is, uh, sorry, I couldn't resist that one. And then the third one is uh, pathos. And that is your ability to empathize uh, with somebody. Like, do, do you find them as a nice person? Uh, I'm glad we're doing this video so we can all like, you know, have a little bit of fun and, you know, mm -hmm. look at your outrageous outfits. But that is a way of creating <laughs> pathos, right? It's seeing the human element of us. And depending on where you're trying to persuade somebody, you may or may not want to use one of those or you use them in combination. So for example, if you get pulled over or if, if you have a speeding ticket, and you're in front of a judge, a pathos argument isn't going to win. Judge, look, I'm a nice guy. I've got two kids. I, 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 you know, I, I volunteer. I'm sorry I was going 10 over. But you really, I mean, if you knew me, you wouldn't give me this ticket, right? A pathos argument's not going to work. A logos argument would work. Hey, here's some precedent. Here's some other facts and figures. And then, you know, the judge was like, okay. So understanding when and how to use these modes of persuasion will help you get your way. In marketing, we are in the business of persuasion. Like if you, if you think you're not, then you're in the wrong category, right? So we are here to persuade someone to do something they otherwise wouldn't go do. Otherwise, why would you need marketing? Um, and so, I, I, so this idea of arguments in a way that is healthy, 
Like, what is the argumentative format that you're taking to persuade me to go do this thing? And I think marketing as a whole often misses this. Uh, they, they miss it and there's an alternate, I'm gonna just stop there because there's a, I don't want that answer to go like for five minutes. <laughs> Yeah, no, but it's uh, yeah, I, I you know I love that you know it's it's a different philo- <laughs> it's a different philosophy you know uh, pun intended than uh, you know a lot of the people we had on have you know so so we 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 love that is that what makes you different you would it, say it, in it marketing I, I would in fact what I hear from marketers that make me the type of marketing I hear that just makes me cringe uh, one is we're storytellers. We're all storytellers. That's what we do. We're here to tell stories. And I think storytelling is a very powerful uh, vehicle in persuasion, but it has to sit within the argumentative framework. And so I would, and it's funny, we ran research. We asked a bunch of marketers how how good a storyteller they are compared to their peers. And it's overwhelming. Everyone believes they're a better storyteller than their peers are, which doesn't even make statistical sense, right? Like we can't all be better than the other people. Um, but in marketing, we believe that to be true. We just believe we're these great storytellers and that is how we're gonna persuade. But it's not, it's a mechanism within that, that, that argument and a framework. And you see it in bad marketing, you see it in bad speeches. How many speeches have you heard where someone just describes the thing instead of persuading? Hi, I'm Eric. Let me talk to you about my product. My product is great. It's up, They go on and on and on and on. And there's no, like, where are you pushing me to? And so you see that often in marketing. Some of my favorite people in marketing to, to work with are ad copy because they get it. Um, there's this idea of a syllogism and a syllogism for, you know, again, more, you know, philosophy here is a major premise minor premise, irrefutable conclusion. Major premise, Socrates is a man. Minor premise, all men are mortal. Therefore, bum, bum, you know, Socrates is dead. And the, it, so if you look at ad people, especially ad creative, they get that syllogism in their head. They understand like, oh, if I can get you on a major premise and a minor premise, I don't have to argue the conclusion. The conclusion will come out out of your head. Because you love your family, all stake, right? And, and so you see those kind of that, that logical thinking in an argumentative format, but in so much other marketing, especially B2B marketing, we just want to go on and on and on and on about our features and buzz, you know, speeds and fees about our product. And we forget that argumentative framework. Eric, since you are pretty new at Domo, but I'm curious, what is the uh, uh, framework for Domo being the better or the best product? Ooh, boy, that's a good one. Um, uh, so here's the argument I would say to people right now that are looking at Domo or in this category. So we all just had our work from home experiment globally. Um, and that shook up businesses pretty, you know, you know, some of them did well, some of them did not do well. Um, But what we know as my major premise is that data is going to be core to the recovery of your business. I think most people would agree to that. If you don't agree with me, then the rest of the argument is not going to hold true. Um, Someone's like, no, 
chocolate chip cookies are the center of the recovery of our business. We got an Otis Spunkmeyer. We're going to just, you know, people will smell the cookies. We're good to go. But if you believe that data is at the core of, uh, uh, at the core of your recovery strategy, then, then I've got you on my first premise. My, my minor premise would be uh, you probably don't have a handle on your data at all. That too much of your data is dark, meaning it's inaccessible. It lives in spreadsheets. Uh, it, there's too much tacit knowledge. Uh, when we all work from home, we, ha we avoid those casual collisions of you know, running into people at the water cooler. Um, you also have other problems with your data in that uh, you have some of it on-premise and some of it's in the cloud and some of it's held by Salesforce and some of it's over here. And so you have a data problem. And it's not just a tactical problem. It's now a strategic problem because, as I said in the major premise, data is at the core of your, your recovery strategy. Therefore, you have to think about how you do data differently. And that's, that would be my conclusion. So, when, so if I can get them on those two, like data is important. We don't have a handle on our data. So therefore, we have to do it differently. I've now opened the door to have a conversation. And it's not about we're better than the other people. It's not like, hey, we just have you know, twice as this. It's we have a different approach. And you're open to it because you've, you, I've kind of walked you down that path. It's pretty good, Eric. I like it. Good. Day two on the job. <laughs> uh, so the other question I had was, uh, you came back, uh, looks like, in a CEO role at Yesler. And uh, tell us a little bit more about what that experience was like uh, being in control again without having a boss to report to. Well, so yeah, Yesler was really interesting. I, after Rocket Fuel, I came back to, because I had an agency still. I came back to my agency and I had never thought I would create an agency that would run on its own. I just thought like I was creating it for me to have a playground really uh, and do cool work with great clients. And after being there, like I came back and it was a little bit like, oh, hey, you're back. Great. <laughs> <laughs> We're so excited. <laughs> and it occurred to me I needed to either come back and like really take it, this agency and take it to the next level, or I needed to do something else with it. And at that time, um, Yesler, who is a, a wonderful B2B agency, uh, one of the largest in the US uh, at the time it was, and um, they, they approached me because we had very complimentary services. We had all this argumentative theory, we had all this strategic positioning, we had all this, and they were the demand center for so many big clients. And we shared a lot of the clients. So, so they approached me and, and asked if I, would, uh, if, if I would join them and sell the, sell the agency. And I said, that would be fantastic. Um, and so when I went to Yesler, when they bought the agency, I was actually more in a chief growth officer role, which basically is like, hey, how do you merge these two things together? make sure the people land, make sure the clients are okay. And then how do we activate, um, how do we activate our clients with these joint offers? And it was a lot of fun. Um, it was neat. Gessler had 300 employees. Um, we had 10. <laughs> so, so that was a lot of fun just to see how do you, you know, how do you run an agency that large? Um, and that was a lot of fun to see. And then after about two years, no, I guess it was a little less than two years, 
um, we finished up all the integration work. We, all the clients were happy. And then they had an opportunity to sell into Accenture. And uh, that was a really great opportunity for them. And they went forward and they are now part of Accenture marketing operations. And at that point, it was a good time for me to go because as much as I like the Yesler team, as much as I like Accenture, me in the marketing operations role just wouldn't be, <laughs> um, it's, it's not where I am. Uh, and, and, you know, hence I was pretty happy to, you know, find Domo. Yeah. Well, and, and Eric, you know, what, what do you think, you know, the, well, obviously there's a lot of differences, but, you know, for uh, a big chunk of your career there, you were involved, like you said, an agency where you got to work with a variety of clients, you know, but potentially a variety of, of domos in the case. What do you think is going to be the, you know, or what has been your biggest transition besides, as we're joking now, you know, you're not working for yourself, but, you know, uh, the transition from now being one client, uh, essentially. It's so hard not to get on the airplane when the real work starts. So like, you know, that's the joke with the agency work is, um, you know, you just don't have to be there, uh, you know, for, for everything to happen. And so, you know, you're responsible, you have a number and our, our chief revenue officer is, uh, he's British and he's grumpy and he is like, <laughs> I need more for marketing. Uh, and when has a marketing person not heard that before? Like that is like we, and, and, and you look at the amount of, you know, we have you know, about 2000 customers. I think we should have 20,000. Um, there's no reason. And so, so the challenge I have is not to just whiteboard this stuff out, but to really say, okay, what are the, where, where will we go get this demand? Um, and where are we willing to put the bets? And it's just hard, right? I mean, it, you've got to grind it out. There's not a magic bullet any marketer has where they just say, if I just fix this one thing, everything else is going to you know, come into play. So it's just going to be, we, gotta, we just got to hit it day after day after day after day. And for those of the people listening, what, you know, talk to us, Eric, about an ideal customer. Who, who could really benefit from the Domo software? Uh, I would say probably two types of customers. One, if you're CIO, especially where you have a mature data business and you have, you know, you've invested in data lakes or you've, you have a data warehouse, you, you have who knows how many transitions into different SaaS providers. You also have a ton of on-prem stuff, stuff locked up. I mean, people rolling Hadoop clusters down the hallway. I mean, you, you've got data like all over the place. And the, 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 the thing you need to figure out is like, well, how do I create data as a value? And that is a really hard thing because you need to be able to connect and transform it. And, and that basically means in English, that means how do I get to talk to one another? Um, and there's this thing called uh, dude's law that I absolutely love. Dude's law from the big, big fellas, big, what is it? Lebowski. Thank you. Um, so there was a, um, uh, this, this guy wrote this law uh, based off that movie and I really liked it. So the value is equal to the importance of the why divided by the how, which basically means if I ask a question, a why question, how hard is it to answer that? And if it's too hard to answer that question, 
and that question's not that valuable, then you don't ask that question. Uh, I'll give you a quick Microsoft example. I was writing a speech for this guy. He was in charge of uh, a big, big platform. And he said, hey, Eric, I need a number uh, on our growth percentage of this thing over this, you know, whatever, whatever. It was a specific thing he wanted. And I said, okay, let me, let me go ask the team. 7%. He's like, oh, that was fast. I was like, right. He's like, how'd you find that? I made it up. He's like, you can't do that. I was like, yes, I can. Because your question to answer it would take 30 people two weeks to do this. And it's not that important of a question. It's a silly question. Now, the question wasn't wrong for him to ask, but the amount of effort to go answer it would just take too much. And so what people like Domo need to do is we need to make that how very, 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 very easy. We need to get that how, that number in the, the, in the denominator, very small. So then you can start asking silly why questions. Like, you know, it's a perfectly reasonable question. It's just too hard to answer. And so if you're a CIO or if you're a business that, you know, one way to look at it is like, what's the simplest question you can't ask you of your business and you ought to be able to, but it's just too complicated. And that is when you can make it that easy and you can democratize it. So it's just not a group of business analysts who are answering it. It's everybody, you know, that, that people can self-serve and ask questions of the business no matter how silly they are, because you just don't know if they're silly or not. Like there has to be some curiosity in it. And if we're just like looking at, you know, lagging indicators, how much revenue, what's our cash management, what's our inventory supplies? That's not how you're going to compete moving forward. If data is an asset, again, back to that syllogism, if data is core to your, your, your recovery, you have to, and my point there was you have to be able to do it differently you have to be able to do it differently with curiosity. If you're going to do it with curiosity, you have to remove the friction and how you ask questions of that data. And so those are the customers we want to go party with. I think we can do a lot with them. I think they can do a lot with their business. Um, and the more gnarly and complicated the data problem is, the better it's going to work out. Because data is messy. It's dark. It's all over the place. And it will always be like that. Like it's never going to get cleaned up. Eric, often when I'm uh, doing the, uh, going through the financial review for the business every year, I want to answer the questions the same way. It's like, it's $400. Yeah. I don't know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <Make them up. laughs> so, so Eric, if you decide to open a CPA practice one day, uh, count me in as a client. <laughs> That's right. So one of the questions I have for you is, uh, you, you know, you've quoted from Aristotle to Big Lebowski in a good 40 minute span, which is awesome. Uh, what, is there a marketing company or that, that you particularly like their messaging and advertising and you're like, wow, these guys really get it? In the B2B space, um, I mean, the, the ones I always like are the ones that convince that understand the person they're trying to convince um and i i've always been impressed with adobe's marketing i mean i'm biased they were a client for many many years um but i really feel like they you know at a, at a broad level they would really kind of get into like creating a new narrative and a lot of the experience economy and experience this and experience, I mean, that really came from Adobe trying to up level B2B. Um, I, mean, I think what Microsoft has been doing lately has just been awesome. 
Um, I really am proud of Satya and Chris Capicella, uh, their CMO, of bringing humanity uh, and leading with humility. I, I just think they just do a great job. And even if you dig into some of their, their, their pages, like, you know, the boring pages, like Microsoft 365 for enterprise, it's really good. Like it's, it, it's, it's, it gets clean. And I think they've avoided the gobbledygook. Uh, there's a few others that I like, um, smaller, like companies like Move Forward, like m most people don't care about, but I was just looking at their site the other day. I was like, oh, that's really clean. Um, because what they realize and what you see is, am I trying to convince you? And this is my, my, my tidbit for everybody in argument. Are you trying to convince me, sorry, if I'm going to convince you of something, am I trying to convince you how I was convinced or how I think you might be convinced? So AJ, earlier in the program, you talked about tennis. And um, so now I know that about you. And so what can I use that, like what do I know about you to help you convince you to go do something rather than what it took me to convince? So if I was explaining, hey, I had this really great lunch and I had it because it was home and it was, it was, you know, my kids were here and it was healthy and it was easy to do. Or do I convince you like, hey, that lunch was really good. And AJ, you would like it because if you're getting hit on the court later, it's just, it's going to loosen you up. Uh, it's not too heavy and it's going to keep you hydrated. Like that's me putting you first and making the argument about you, not what convinced me to do it. And you see it in messaging all the time. And we talk about customer first and we, we, we forget to do it um, because we get excited like about the product ourselves. Take that excitement. Think about what it would take to convince the person you're talking to from their perspective to go do that thing. And it's a, it's a subtle difference, but it makes all the difference in the world. Um, and so with that, I think some of the, the, the taglines I really like in the B2B space, I think AWS with build on is great. Like that was awesome. Build on, like it's inspiring. And they know the developer. They, they can speak developer uh, all day long. So it's those types of those, those moments where you really think I'm helping my customer do something better from the customer's point of view. You know, obviously, Eric, it's easier to do with sales. A lot of uh, sales messages uh, we all get are clearly copied and pasted from five years ago, and they've been using the same message. So I presume it works on someone. <laughs> but how do you do that in B2B marketing uh, and still kind of keep it personalized uh, while kind of creating this huge demand gen uh, effort? The, yeah, AJ, that's a really great question. There's another kind of truth of marketing that you have to like unlearn. Um, and that is that we were taught at one point, like brand consistency, like in message consistency. And, you know, it's just like, if I consistent with the message enough that people will be able to repeat it and then they'll go do it. And that might be true, especially in consumer, but in B2B, we have a big problem. And that is, um, all the kind of consumerization of content, like, you know, the, you know, how much the, the consumer's in control has transferred to the B2B sales. And for marketers, what that means is that 
a disproportionate amount of the customer journey at B2B is squarely sitting with the marketing team and not the sales team. So long are the days where we could take them out for steak dinner and Billy Joel concerts and like go close the deal. Like we have to be able to binge all the content to so all the gated content that's got to go. Um, we have to be able to allow people not to go on a journey, but to, you know, Netflix eyes, all the content. And so the trick with that is consistency, therefore, doesn't play right. Like, if you just keep saying the same thing over and over again, I get frustrated. It'd be like watching the same episode on Netflix. You're like, oh, my gosh, <laughs> when's this going to move on? And so what marketers need to do is move away from consistency and co to coherence, meaning do the message, messages cohere, not exactly word for word, but do they fit around that same argument? So if you go back to that argumentative structure, then you can sit here and say, wow, so I'm not going to say, like, is data at the core of your recovery st strategy? I'm not going to say that a thousand times. I'm going to get a bunch of evidence and messaging around that one, that one idea, and they're going to cohere together. And then I'm going to go to the next thing, and then I'm going to get that all to cohere. And so if you're watching the barrage of content that's coming at you, but that marketing can do, because we can spam, holy cow, can we spam? And we can put you in nurture paths and we can do all this stuff. But if it begins to cohere together, you will start to look at it as an audience and then start adding your own ideas to it. Because you're like, yeah, that makes sense because I saw this other thing over here. And I saw this over here. And now I've got the, now the, the, the audience is doing the logic for me. And that's what gets powerful. If they can do the thinking, then it's their idea, not mine. And then that is, now they're persuading me to buy their product, right? It's, a, it's, a, it's really hard to do, but you have to break, and I have to break marketing teams from saying, no, we're consistent, we're consistent. We're going to use the same image and the same tagline, and that's it. And um, you know, the world is messy, but uh, if you can build that coherent strategy, your messaging will work a lot better. Yeah. And, and Eric, I, I, I failed to ask this at the beginning of the show, but I, I was, you know, I like to ask it oftentimes, why has it been B2B marketing for you, say the last, you know, 15 or 15 years or so? That's a great question. Um, I don't think because no one from B2C has ever asked me. Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we've heard answers like that before. We've said like B2C is sexy and I just couldn't get into it. And then I went B2B. I'm like, hey, come on. I love B2B marketing. You know, for what, what I love is, um, first of all, I'll start, I'll almost end with, I hate advertising. Um, I just can't stand it, which is, you know, of course, ironic because, how much we have done as far as policy and, um, you know, helping advertising move forward. I've been to Can Lions, uh, the Can Lions Advertising Festival for 15 plus years in a row. Uh, so it's like, I've been in it, but I just don't like it because I find it, I, I like persuasion, but not manipulation. And I think what we are doing for B2B matters. Um, it matters because these companies do set policy, they do set, uh, like the stuff that we've written around privacy, for example, um, or uh, speeches that we've written around uh, gender equality in the workplace. Like those are all, those, those are all extensions within this industry and we can make a big difference. 
Like we can really, really make a difference. I don't really get that excited about selling a car or selling a diamond ring or selling things that you probably don't even need anyway. And so, but I like this because, you know, what we're trying to do in B2B is often make companies better and make them like there's that inkling, there's a reason why some entrepreneur, someone like me, came up with an idea and said, I want to do this, and I want to try to do this at scale, but eventually it breaks. And if we can help them keep growing, because growth will break any company, it's just a matter of when. And so if you can help them grow, then you help that idea permeate. And B2C, I just don't see that. I just think it's like, how many more hamburgers can we get off? Um, and so I don't actually find it very sexy. I find it um, just not as intellectually interesting. I like that. I like that take uh, on uh, on it. Now, you know, Eric, this is where we kind of get into a few more of the, we just have a few minutes left, you know, a few more of the personal before we wrap up here. Uh, tell us what, you know, what are some of your interests? What do you enjoy doing? You're out and, uh, you know, you have a cool uh, brewery hat on there. Tell us about that. Are you yeah. a beer guy? What, what, what's, uh, you know, what do you like to do for fun? Uh, yeah, definitely a, a practicing alcoholist. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, craft drinks, I just love craft wine and craft beer. Just, I, I love it. Um, I just find it very interesting. It's something I couldn't do. Like, I feel like if I tried really, really, really hard, I would only be like this much, like this good at it, where <laughs> these other people are like this good. So, and I enjoy drinking it. Yeah, this is from Snorting Elk, um, uh, Snorting Elk, which is up in Crystal Mountain in Washington State. It's where I ski. Uh, and this is, they have a ton of breweries. So nothing's better than doing a hard day of skiing and having a brew. I do long distance running because after a run, you can go have a brew. I like to play tennis. AJ, let's go play. Then you can have a brew. You, you're connecting. You're right. You're, you're seeing the, the, the connection. Uh, but perhaps the thing I love the most uh, and got me through school is music. As a saxophone, I play saxophone and piano. And oh, that's awesome! Yeah, so my whole family, my my uh, whole family is in music, and so that is my happiest moments just sitting playing on the piano. I love it. And the last question is: We ask all our guests this question has become a staple here at the Marketing Stir LinkedIn. When someone reaches out to you, what do you hate that they do, and what and what gets Eric Dewar to accept a LinkedIn request? Uh, boy, if I don't know them, I'm pretty picky on LinkedIn. Same. Um, yeah, so it's got to be. There was one guy who reached out. I did not know him. He was Australian. He said, hey, Eric, I saw that you worked at Rocket Fuel. I helped with a TED presentation for one of the founders. I'm now looking for a job in Seattle. I noticed you were at Yesler. Um, would you hook me up? And I mean, check, check, check. You did your homework. Uh -huh. um, you were clear with the ask. You, you showed that even though we didn't have anyone in common, we kind of did have someone in common. And I went to bat for this guy. I took a phone call. I said, give me a call. He was, uh, he was brilliant. Uh, he was over at IBM looking to move over. And I got involved with his whole story with him and his new, his new bride and, um, and landed them, like, helped, like I connected them with everyone I knew. Never That's met awesome. the guy. Yeah. So do your homework, right? Um, and I like that. You know, again, persuasion. What do you want this person to go do? Yeah. Uh, and he, he tapped in that pathos, right? And he yeah. had a little bit of ethos. And then very clear of the ask. 
I love it. I love it. That's a great way to end the podcast. Eric, this has been fun. I, I've had a smile on my face the entire time. I love your stories. I love your energy. Uh, you know, I love what Domo is doing and they have a, you know, a huge renewal rate, which uh, we didn't get to talk about, but you know, we, we had some great conversations here. Uh, this has been an amazing episode of the marketing stir. I'm Vincent Petrofessa. That's AJ Gupta. He's been Eric Dewar, the senior vice president of marketing at Domo. Thanks. And we'll see you soon. Thanks for listening to the marketing stir podcast by Starista. Please like rate and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at info at themarketingstir.com. And thanks for listening.